0: Hi, I'm John Atac, and here we are back again for the 30 whatever time. Uh with my we we have to be good friends by now, don't we? After all have these to years, be. Really. Uh, yeah, By it's now. Yeah. This is my great good friend, Chris Shelton.
1: Hey everybody. Um, so welcome to my show as well. This is our uh, collective uh uh intro for our shows. Um, So this is the Sensibly Speaking podcast as well. Thank you very much for showing up and inviting us into your home this week. Uh, This week, we are going to be talking about Charles Manson Manson. and the Process Church and 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 things connected with this stuff. Now, I'm going to lead by saying, uh, admitting, I I know very little about wow. this topic, and the reason I'm, I'm gonna say that is because I actually know all kinds of things, but I know that there is so much controversy and so many facts in, in dispute hmm. or alternative facts offered about the timeline, the chronology, and the intention and motivation of Charles Manson and his connection with the Church of Scientology his connection with another group called the process church, their connections with Satanism and murder and, and the son of Sam and all kinds of, of dots that have been connected about these things that I know that I don't know. And I know that that's a better place to be than thinking I do. And that's why I'm heading off this chap, this, this, this podcast, saying that is look i know some things i'll be able to contribute to this conversation obviously but i'm gonna fall back to and rely on john who has done much more recent and deeper study of charles manson of his connections with scientology his practice with it and how that informed or did it inform his behavior Mm -hmm. so that all being said right Let's go ahead and get into this, John.
0: <laughs> Let's get into this. Yeah. Uh, okay, so sometime back in the last century, um, in the 1980s, you remember the 1980s, Chris? Oh, um,
1: so do so I remember it so well?
0: <laughs> and, um, I, so lots and lots of documents flowed through my hands during, during that time because um, I was sort of elected as the official historian of scientology people just went oh send it to john i've got 60 bankers boxes full of material when um gordon melton was was telling me that he was when he retired going to write another book about scientology having written a crapulous mess about it before but you know he was going to write another book about it but unfortunately janet reitman hadn't returned his box of materials to him and i said gordon I'll give you sixty bucks you <laughs> write the book, but he didn't. So he's writing about vampires now, which is much more interesting and true than than his other work, frankly. Uh, sorry about that, Gordon. Oh, no,
1: I'll agree. I, I vampires are my um, my go to uh, horror fantasy creature. So you I'll, I'll actually support Melton in that effort.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, good it's just keep them away from anything that's to do with the so-called new religious movement exactly uh, you <laughs> know. it's not just Scientology that he made a mess of the church of I am his book about that is awful but anyway I digress and that's what I'm famous for I suppose meandering um so what happened was that among the documents you know the masses of documents say 60 boxes there was a red box that had been taken by the FBI in the the raid in 1977 on the Los Angeles um, premises of Scientology. And the red boxes were kept by branch one, the investigation information harassment department. um, The uh, covert data collection i mean what a you know we have overt data collection and then we have the stuff we steal and that was their job and there's an order that basically says that any sensitive material is is kept in a red box and must be destroyed once you hear they're at the door coming in with a search warrant you destroy the red boxes and they panicked one of the red boxes was on charles manson now when i mentioned in that Sully's people a piece of blue sky in 1990 when i mentioned that charles manson had had 150 hours of auditing i thought this was common knowledge because i've got their documents and the principal document is a report written to mary sue hubbard who was the controller of the guardian's office and it was written a month before the Manson trial began right the trial began in July 1970 and a month before Scientology is already they've done a full investigation because they fear that people will realize that Manson had done Scientology and they quite rightly realize that that might not be good public relations the amazing thing is they've kept the lid on this story for decades when when I mentioned it as I said I, I thought it was just you know people will know this and what happened was uh, i was talking with my friend eric hunley uh, on a show and um after we'd finished he said oh you know your friend jolly west was running the manson family (laughs) what (laughs) you know you you suddenly entered history you're suddenly being told that somebody you knew and liked was actually evil uh, in the extreme so he said yeah he'd interviewed this guy tom o'neill who'd had a best-selling book, a book called Chaos, um, which took him 20 years to research. And it destroys the original popular story of Manson, which is Vincent Bugliosi's Helter Skelter. Bugliosi was the, the prosecutor. And as O'Neill, you know, I'm not going to knock O'Neill for, for his um, investigation. His investigation is good. He found out a lot of interesting things. I am going to knock him for his speculation. Because Uh, what he's saying about Jolly West is absolute speculation. As he says in the book, all he has managed to prove is that Charles Manson and Louis Jolly and West walked the same corridors. They were both at one time or another in the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic in the spring of 1967. That's it, spring and summer of sixty-seven. He doesn't prove that they ever met. And he from there sets Jolly up as the the man who wrote, he says in an interview, the blueprint for MK Ultra. The vicious, awful CIA projects to develop mind control. Um there were if you know, I engine, could, yep.
1: if I could just interrupt for just a second, just to because I I I you know I can only hold this stuff in for so long.
0: Yeah, of course. I, we all have to go at some time. Chris. Well,
1: you know, we have to. We have to. And and this is an area where I really don't tread lightly. I am, I am, I am quite incensed very easily by connecting dots that don't connect because it happens all the time in the conspiracy world, and it's a method of thinking. That I used to engage in professionally <laughs> as a Sea Org member, right? as somebody, and, and I mean professionally in that, I was literally paid for it. I would go around and recruit people into the Sea Org using this kind of reasoning, this kind of logic. Oh, they were in the same place at the same time, therefore, all right, here's a fact, and here's a fact, he was in this building, he was in this building, now, from that little kernel, I'm going to explode an entire Thanksgiving feast of awful to you about how you know this man was the architect of MK Ultra. I mean, you are going from 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 a grain of uh, on a sand of the beach to the moon in in 2.3 mm-hmm. microseconds. It, it's insane to be able to go there. From the from the the factoids that you that this man has put together and it and I just I, I gotta put that out at the get go so that people get like how off the rails this kind of thinking is it's it's not scientific or intellectual reasoning or thinking because in academia and science you have to create a trail of evidence you don't start at the beginning and then jump to the conclusion and that's the kind of thinking I see here by O'Neill and it, and it makes me angry because I feel it's irresponsible. That being yeah, said, please continue on. <laughs>
0: ab- absolutely. I agree with you that, we, and we have to be so careful in, in the, you know, I've, I've now done three shows about this. Mm-hmm. Um, one with Eric Conley, you know, another with Tony Ortega, you can find them on on the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, On the eric hunley show people were actually commenting that they didn't believe me and i'm kind of going so here we've got it that there's we we have beliefs that are based upon our opinions our experiences and our perceptions and we have beliefs that are based upon evidence so if we're going to talk about gravity for example we can look at it and we can apply the inverse square law and we can determine things about how things will fall and that they will fall and that's evidence-based so what i was saying was tom o'neill has no evidence none and people were choosing not to believe me when i and i used i quoted extensively I, i put a i was so concerned about this i wrote an article about it i took some time and put that up on tony ortega's site it'll be up on on my new website as well soon. Um, and we've linked it through Steve Hassan's site. Getting into the nitty-gritty of, of what Tom O'Neill actually says, and he says, you know, that Jolly West had become his great white whale. Well, that's a bad position comparing yourself to Captain Ahab, who was a nutter, you know. Um, and we shouldn't be going around persecuting whales, poor things. They've had a hard time of it. That's right. Um, so and and of course, Captain Ahab ended up going on what's called a Nantucket sleigh ride. Um, we were talking about music before and mountains Nantucket sleigh ride live. Incredible. Wonderful. But we won't do that right now. Um, the Times Literary Supplement called O'Neill's book a masterpiece. And that is one of the great critical organs. You know, you've got the Kirkus Review, the New York uh, Review of Books, uh, New York Times Review of Books and the Times Literary Supplement. They're the greats. And, that's how bad it's become that, that people can read something and be convinced because it's simply repeated. Now, he's got about 80 pages about Jolly. My thought was very simple. you know. He, he cites somebody who knew Jolly, briefly it seems, and said he was the most charming psychopath he'd ever met. And I balk at the word psychopath being applied to somebody who I've met and spent time with um, and whose reputation I know jolly was a friend of martin luther king he went on civil rights marches at a time when you could be shot dead for doing that kind of thing yep psychopaths for real do like actually do. shot yeah like for yeah. real edgar mevers martin yeah. luther king so many others you know yeah. the mississippi burning all of that horrible right. he took that risk um he then and i mean right i think 52 is the first time he criticized hubbard and he gave a talk at an American Psychiatric Association meeting and he was frequently honoured, you know, by associations, for the work he did on drugs and alcohol and helping people, work he did on violence. And he stood up before the APA and said Scientology is a cult and its leader is a crank and I will not be intimidated by them. He was sued by them. He kept going out and he kept saying it. and so I'm kind of going psychopath, you know, that this idea that this guy is, you know, wrote the blueprint for MKUltra, the 146 projects of MKUltra with no evidence. So it bothered me and I needed to speak out. I met Jolly four times. We spent several hours together each time. Um, he was one of the few truly brilliant people I've met. He was his his information was staggering. The, the amount he'd understood the he was a polymath he had a vast area of expertise he was funny he he was charming and somebody said in the comments oh yes yeah, psychopaths are charming it's like yes psychopaths are superficially charming but when somebody you've known them for a few years and you you get that they don't shout at the waiter when they their fork's dirty or they you know they do not behave in that way they, you know, somebody told me some years ago because I mentioned him, and I didn't realize he was the, you know, there are all these conspiracy theories around Jolly. Um, Tom O'Neill says that um, he interviewed Jack Ruby after Ru- Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald, and he says in in an article that he wrote, O'Neill, that he snapped Ruby into madness during a single interview. He doesn't give us any explanation of how this might be done. He and
1: just takes this claim.
0: Yeah. And then Jolly West
1: somehow interviewed Jack Ruby and made him crazy.
0: Yeah. How do you just toss stuff like that out? Yeah. And and why do so many people believe it?
1: Well, because they want to. That's why. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because they don't understand the difference between evidence and opinion. And they're willing to go with their gut. They're willing to go with their instinct, their intuition, what have you. and that is putting the world into terrible danger that people think that way rather than thinking you know, with an evidence basis. Right. And we um, need
1: to, I actually want to comment on this for a second because you're, what you're saying is sure. way, way, way more important as a core principle truth, I think, than, it, I think it needs to be underlined and bold-faced a few times here, okay? Because uh, in terms of like, How you and I approach information and how we try to parse out and deal with and figure out what to believe or not, this is how we do it. We don't, you know, it's like we, you, me, everybody has their emotional needs that, that, you know, make us biased toward wanting to believe certain things. But we got to be clear that even in the ex Scientology world, this kind of stuff goes on. Lies get told, nonsense gets spread around about how bad Scientology is in certain ways in certain areas, as though we need to do that, you know, as though it's not bad enough with all the hardcore truths we've given you guys, right, over all these years, and it's been demonstrated on Leah and Alex Gibney and Lawrence Wright and, and Rolling Stone and everything else, all this stuff, right, years and years, decades from Tony Ortega of facts, actual information. You can see photos, you can see dates, you can see times, you can see testimonials, you can see real evidence of stuff. And it's really bad. And so it really gets my goat a little bit when I then watch people rewriting history or making it out to be or exaggerating it to be worse than it already is. And I see that sometimes and it's always a little teeth gnashing because the truth is... Bad enough as it is, and the truth is what lasts. And when you add lies, then the truth forks. It, it It goes off in this direction, in this direction. And now we have to now we have these whole other narratives that five years from now we're still di- having, trying to deal with like this, like Jolly West, character full-on character assassination ends up being the product of this because people are trying to make a name for themselves or they're trying to stand out or they're trying to bring something new. The conversation, and there isn't anything new to bring to it. The conversation's the conversation, Hmm. the facts are the facts, that's all there is. And again, with Scientology, it's bad enough. With Manson, it's bad enough, Hmm. but we have to embellish. And this is, and then people want to believe those embellishments. And I see that happen even in this world, even in the ex Scientology community as well as in the big wide world. So I thought I'd throw that out there because I think all of us could be a little bit more critical about some of the claims we hear even from people we trust, you know?
0: Yeah. And we you know we can all make mistakes. Yeah, um, exactly. The, you know, the, and and it, it doesn't it, it we have to look at people's motivation. I think, I have no reason to suspect Tom O'Neill's motivation. I think that, that he genuinely believed this. He found um, that Sidney Gottlieb, who was the architect of MKUltra, had been right exchanging letters with Jolly West. Now, he did this under the name Sherman Griffith. And there's no evidence that Jolly knew that Sherman Griffith was Sidney Gottlieb. Mm-hmm. He did this on the letterhead of a company called Chemifril and money was paid out those 146 projects they didn't go to people and say we're the CIA we're researching mind control would you like to jump on board right. they went to somebody they who might be doing interesting work one of the things I pointed out in the article I wrote is that more than 90 percent of the social psychology experiments that, that were performed in the United States from World War II into the 60s were funded by the US military. Mm -hmm. Zimbardo was funded by the US military His one of his papers actually has the US Navy listed on it. Because they're people they're wanting to find out what the Russians and the Chinese and North Koreans have got. and They do grossly unethical things. But some of those experiments, I it, it seems very likely that one of Jolly West's experiments on LSD was funded. They wouldn't have said this is a check from the CIA that have said, you know, it's uh, the, the Society for Human Ecology or one of these fronts. Exactly. And that experiment was not to harm people. The experiment we know about with Jolly, and it's where O'Neill gets interested, is he had a, a crash pad in the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco where his grad students would sit with notepads and make notes on hippies who'd come in who'd taken LSD. They didn't give him the LSD they they weren't running any mind control experiment they were seeing what it did now that's within the purview of these experiments it does not make jolly west a bad person in any way right um so yeah i i've been i've been recording facts about scientology since 1983 when i first published a newsletter called reconnection that ran 33 issues 32 of them are all still online put up by an independent Scientologist which is curious because I'd lost faith by the second issue (laughs) and but I was begged to carry on doing it and so I wrote a piece in the secondary connection called so what really happened trying to gather together this what seemed to be this takeover by the Commodore's messenger organization of Scientology under David Miscavige and I'd Talk to whoever I could get to, you know, by then I'd I'd talk with um, John Nelson and uh, Harvey Haber and David Mayo and various people. And John Ziegel had put these tapes out and I was trying to piece it together. And it's always that thing that you're trying to piece together the reality. And the problem will always be that you'll have your own biases. Inevitably, uh, there'll be things that, that you don't want to be true. You have to get to the point where your own cognitive dissonance, your own dislike, your own confirmation bias, my side bias, that doesn't matter. You are just collecting the facts and assessing the sources. And there were cases. So I was in touch with Alan Hubbard, Junior Nibs, and uh, who was very helpful. You know, and it the proviso was very simple. I could not publish anything Nibs had said that I didn't have a second source for mm-hmm. because he twice signed documents admitting perjury. And I understand the pressures he was under to do that, um, you know, which was like, he needed some money. He was a um, diabetic and was losing bits of his body as he went along, poor man. That's right. um, he'd got what six kids, I think, uh, total. You know, and his father ran a massive harassment campaign against him.
1: Mm-hmm. So oh, if you think that he, if you think the folks who get fair game now are having it rough, you think Leah and Mike are having it rough? Fair gaming when L Ron Hubbard was still around. <laughs> oh oh, oh right. Paulette Cooper style, right? Let's drive yeah, him to I, suicide.
0: Like yeah, full and, on, um,
1: murderous intent.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I certainly was, you know, a similar campaign was run against me. Yes. For sixteen it was. years. That's and, right. Um, very much the intention is to drive you out of your mind, That's to right. destroy all of your relationships. Um, you know, I was sued by one of my closest friends at one point. Um right. it it's a it's a strange situation to find yourself in. Where yeah, your life infiltrated,
1: it. your best friend could be working for the church. I mean, these people were not screwing around, and L. Ron Hubbard Jr. was at the receiving end of decades of this, and the back and forth that he experienced uh, was absolutely understandable given the psychological torture and uh, physical duress even that he was under, and this is his own kid. He's doing this too. L. Ron Hubbard is enacting this vengeance on. I mean, my God, you know, so this is, yeah, this is the organization we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, it's bad. Ah, yeah, he's he's yeah. Uh, very terrible. So for me, it be, because I was you know I was under constant attack from the moment I left Scientology because I said, "All right, I you know I'm going to talk about this, not to the press." I didn't talk to the media until March '84. I didn't have any media interviews, and that was to try and rescue things they'd been told that weren't true. Mm-hmm. And you know, then my career changed a little bit, but I wanted to know what the truth was, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody, uh, I was questioned because I did make a mistake. In in, um, an interview, I said that Quentin Hubbard, uh, the oldest of Hubbard's children, by Mary Sue Hubbard, uh, who committed suicide at the age of 22. Mm -hmm. There are conspiracy theories that it was murder, but I'm pretty sure it was suicide from reading the coroner's report and interviewing people around at the time. Yep. Um, but you, you, I said he did the bridge twice. He went through to class 12 twice because an executive in Scientology when I was in had told me that this had happened. And I was corrected. Dennis Ehrlich quite rightly immediately said no. He was programmed to do it a second time. But a comment was then made upon that by somebody who is quite well known, and I'm not going to name up, Um, you can go and dig it out, who said, well, if John's wrong about this, how can we trust anything he says? And the answer to that is, if you look to let's sell these people a piece of blue sky, there are nearly 1,200 reference notes. You can go and check my sources. You can see. And you'll find that more than 50% of the material in that book comes from a single source. And that source is Ron Hubbard. (laughs) you know when i say that he had a, a failing grade in molecular and atomic physics and was kicked out of college he says it too it's from a lecture well, plus you
1: can it. also just pull up the transcript you know i mean the evidence, yeah, you is see, the the trans- evidence. it's not hard to find yeah.
0: you see, no you see the transcript could be forged
1: well it could the, be but you know when you're looking at the, you know it
0: no no i take this standard i absolutely take the okay. standard because right. i i had to be sure i had the transcript i had the transcript before it was years later, that I actually heard the tape where he admits it. Um, yeah. So 24 September yeah, 1950, introduction to Dianetics. But the point is that you want material that will be convincing to people. So you get him. You say, you know, he's the guy that said this, you know, make friends sure. with the biggest enemies of the West. That was Ron Hubbard. Let's join Smirch. That was Ron Hubbard, uh, zones of action, confidential That's flag right. order. That's right. And so you put that evidence together and th- there is something that you know um steve kent asked me to write a chapter for uh, a book he was writing on on scientology and popular culture and and i wrote the chapter and then the chapter had to be cut down it was 100 pages that i'd got it was on uk media on scientology but we collapsed it to 25 pages which is what they needed the publisher prager i went to them and they offered me you know the contract was i'd get um, 80 dollars for this, what by then was six weeks of my time. And they would own the copyright, because I went to them and said, Look, in a year's time, I'd like to publish the whole thing. Mm. Because I don't you know I'm here to provide information. This is not about making money. It's not at not $80 a pop it is.
1: Yeah.
0: They came back and said, No, we won't let you publish the full thing. So it, it did the chapter didn't go in. Yeah. But This was a chapter about UK media, and I came to the conclusion that that you've come to, that the the bias was so evident. that, And there was one incident in particular that bothered me, that that they opened a Dianetics bookstore in East Grinstead. It's the only time Scientology ever dared to do anything in East Grinstead itself, because St. Hill's four miles out. And it was firebombed not only was the glass kicked in i think four times but it was firebombed and the way it was reported i i was just sort of no it, it sounded as if they deserved it right. and that kind of you know vehement anger is i know and and so i understand why the media don't like scientology you know um they sued me quite a lot so i'm not keen on them either but to, to be fair and balanced, you know to to make sure that what you say is is true so that you don't accuse them of something they haven't done, and there is a distinction I'd make between um, bias and prejudice. Prejudice is where we go to the thing without evidence, prejudice, without judgment, and give our opinion. bias. Can be based upon evidence we can have a bias that's like you know i think charlie manson was a bad person for example and that's my bias but that's not prejudice i'm now considered a lot of evidence what bothered me about o'neill's book was that he didn't mention scientology once so i then went off and i read jeff Gwynne's book and he mentions it but he thinks forgive me you know, it's a very good book, it's very well researched, but he thinks that Manson got all of his manipulation tricks from the Dale Carnegie course, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and he keeps referring back to it. So when you look in the bibliography of Gwyn's book to, to say, well, what did he find out about Scientology along the way? He evidently didn't have these red box documents that I have. right? And his reference to Scientology is the book What is Scientology? That's what he found out about them. So, of course, he doesn't recognize. So in going off and reading Tex Watson's book, Cease to Exist, Watson, of course, was the the prime figure in the killings, the, the Tate and the Labianca murders. And uh, he, I was, think he, he was like, one of
1: the murderers.
0: He was the lead. Yeah. He was involved in, in all of it.
1: And then and, he himself wrote a book you're referring to here about yeah. the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Called cool. See the, the when it was republished, it was called Cease to Exist. And I of the the books I've read, and I've read Manson's autobiography, Dictated to No Lemons, twice. And I'm just finishing Diane Lake's book. She was 14 when she was inducted into the Manson family. Mm-hmm. Um and she was not involved in, in the murders at all. She was a witness against the Manson family for, for nearly 10 years in court. Um, And what is fascinating to me as somebody who does recognize Scientology is, I this is where I'd come to, 1962-63, a guy called Lania Raymer, who was, and this is in their documents, Lania Raymer is, in McNeil Island Penitentiary and meets Charles Manson and starts auditing him and teaching him Scientology. Now, Now, the reason...
1: Let me me interrupt you for just a second. Let me uh, me just make sure I'm understanding what we're talking about here, Uh, and and for the audience's clarification as well. So in 1962, Charles Manson finds himself in prison, connected with this guy, uh, Lenny?
0: Lania Raymer.
1: Lania Raymer, That's a that's a weird name. What what where, what, what what is that name?
0: Uh, I don't know. I didn't give it to him.
1: No, I was just wondering if he was a foreign national. I just never heard that name before.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, let, let's face it. You know, you've got Ellis Island over there, so most many of the names that people have in America. Fair enough. Fair enough. So it's
1: just an interesting name. So, yeah. sixty-two. Charles Charles Manson finds himself in jail for. Do you remember what for?
0: Uh, Manson, I think Manson's uh, offences were generally pimping and, and theft. Those are okay. the things he, he'd done. Okay,
1: so probably nonviolent crime, but he's in there for a period. And he meets this guy who knows about Scientology and actually delivers Scientology processes to him in prison.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, and the, the report to Mary Sue Hubbard, um, so their own internal report, Says that Manson received about one hundred and fifty hours of auditing in a fourteen-month period, which is quite a lot. Yeah, uh, it's more than I received in my nine years in Scientology. Yeah. Um, well, they I'll also, lie. they also, the report says that, that Raymer was somewhere around a, a class one auditor. Okay. Uh, which at, at that time, if it was, you know, I haven't checked all the details of this. I don't think they'd reintroduce dianetics at that point. And mm. the bridge as we have it is is that's what 64, sixty four
1: sixty sixty five. That's right. Um, sixty two. There wasn't really a grade chart put together quite yet. There was mm. routine. If I remember right from the bulletins, it was a route. There was a there was a route being put together of of routine one, two, and three. And this was stuff that was that was uh, happening at Saint Hill at the time. So yeah, so it was still a little bit roll your own Scientology, but they had very precise procedures for the auditing and for the e-meter use by this point, for sure.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Lania Arama gathered a group of 10 people around him in prison, uh, including Charles Manson. Okay. Um, and one of the little notes in the red box documents is to the effect that the reason that Lania Arama was in prison mm-hmm. was because he tried to rob a bank. And he tried oh, to shit. rob a bank yeah, he tried to rob a bank to pay for Scientology.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, was he proud to pay for his services? <laughs> I guess so, I actually, I've, and, and you guys might laugh, but I'm going to tell you right now, while I was a staff member in Santa Barbara, a professional um, house thief, burglar, came in and wanted to do services and was being upfront with us about how he made his money. And we were like, Nah, dude, can't do that. Can't be doing that. We didn't turn him in, but we wouldn't take his his uh his criminal money because he told us straight up what he was doing. So this happens.
0: This does happen. Oh well. <clears throat> what's his name? Is it David Gentile? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, the the whole uh, that whole stock thing that uh Jeffrey Augustine's been reporting on forever. Yeah.
0: One point three billion dollars yeah. on yeah. this game. So yeah, sometimes there are some quite criminal people involved with Scientology, right. one way or another. That's right. So, what in 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 the his own book Without Conscience, um, which he would later renounce, he, he spent years with this journalist Noor Lemons, who was next con, who'd known Manson and gone straight. And Manson grudgingly at first started giving him interviews. Um, I'm with Jeff Gwynn on on this book the book is is O'Neill just dismisses it again and I'm going at 200 pages dictated by Charles Manson Uh, yeah it's like reading Ron Hubbard I'm not going to presume it's true but it is information and it gives me state of mind and the picture that is painted there has some uh, accurate things in it Jeff Gwynn writing about it and again he only takes I think O'Neill has one paragraph from it where Manson talks about going to the the Tate house, the Polanski house, after the killings and planting a pair of spectacles there. And that's all you get from a 200-page book. Now, it's true that there are factual errors in this book. And it's true that Manson tries to put himself over, you know, as somewhat better as a human being than he actually was. But nonetheless, it's a source of information. Mm-hmm. And it, he says he got pretty heavily into Dianetics and Scientology. That's Charles Manson himself, pretty heavily into it. We then find that there were three other members of the family. And at its greatest extent, the family was 35 people. Mm-hmm. The core group is less than 20 people. There were three other people who'd taken Scientology courses.
1: Really? Do we know um, the specifics of that?
0: No, they're they're listed in the red box documents. They're, they, Bruce Davis is named, um, and that Sandra Good is named, and there's one other. Um, you know, I'm still at the beginnings of my own researches into this. You know, this is uh, coming hot on the presses.
1: Um, well, I'm going to tell you, it's it's you know two is an interesting coincidence three is unlikely four four people in a group of 30 who have done Scientology services hmm. and within the last 10 years right because 62 is when Manson does his stuff and we're talking about to, up to 68 69 right
0: well the family begins in 67 67 and okay I, I thought that I thought that what I, you know I thought I was going to be saying well look you know We should take this into consideration. It probably isn't the most important aspect of what happened. Mm -hmm. And let me say up front, there is no, even though they may have walked the same corridors, there is no connection that I'm aware of between the Church of Scientology or any of its many hundreds of groups, the Religious Technology Centre, the Church of Spiritual Technology or the International Finance Police, that there is no connection that that I've found between any official Scientology organization and Charles Manson. There is no suggestion that anybody in the Scientology organization was directing Manson in any way. No more than Jolly West was.
1: <laughs> right, right. And that's an important. That's a very, very important thing to to keep in front and center. Hmm. The other thing to keep front and center with this is the assertion that Charles Manson did Scientology services and that they could have influenced his way of thinking and eventually could have in some fashion informed some of his behavior is really the kind of the totality of the claim because, that, that we're going to be making here. Because we're not saying Scientology was officially behind Charles Manson in any way, shape, or form. Um, Because you just said there's no evidence of that. But the amount, the volume of Scientology that was given to him, that was delivered to him, and what Scientology does to a person is the basis of an argument that it could have been influential on him and the fact that there were three other people in his small core group who also had Scientology background If you know what Scientology is and is capable of doing to you, then that becomes an important piece of information. If Scientology is merely some faith based, you know, rah rah to you, and you don't think it's anything more than a Christian revitalism, you know, uh, something like that, then it might not necessarily matter to you that the Scientology connection is sitting there, but it's there and it's an interesting point of conjecture as to how much is it there and how much could it have been an influence on Manson and that's basically the 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 core of this thing as I see it today
0: yeah and and you hit the nail on the head it's what was that influence now what what I thought as I came into this because I say I've been familiar with these red box documents since the 1980s um so I know how they tried to cover it up, because that's what it is. It's them trying to play down any connection that Manson might have had with them. One can understand that it's, you know, I mean, look what happened to Kool-Aid after Jonestown. And that was Flavor-Aid's greatest coup, that Kool-Aid had nothing to do with it, but drink the Flavor-Aid doesn't sound right. That's right. <laughs> so you, you don't want to be positioned against Charles Manson.
1: That's um, right, because then he'll go down in history as the Scientology killer.
0: Yeah. And and the church doesn't want to have anything to do with that. No, and and, and nor would any of us, Um, even if it were a church. And I must say that I still object to the use of that, that word to describe Scientology in any way, because the church is a Christian organization. That's what the word means. And Hubbard was insistent, that we study the etymology of words and understand them. And so by his own standards, and we know you and I both know the reason he used the term church was because of the Church of American Science. You know, which you know, amazingly got its way into the modern management-defined dictionary from the tape he made, where he says it's a Christian church to recruit Christians and move them onto something better, like Scientology. So the whole church thing was, was a con from the beginning. So oh. I, I do not refer to it as the church. It seems to me that he's been successful in the scam if we start saying the good organisation – You know or something like that you know uh i i've sort of had to backpedal from the word cult because people get upset about it but scientology is indeed an authoritarian dangerous cult and there we go um end of that particular rant the other thing that bothered me about o'neill was that having read manson's autobiography some years ago there was no mention of datura now
1: yeah, this is the other important point that's missing out of the narrative. Please go into detail on this one.
0: Yeah, the, Manson and, in fact, ex-Watson both talk about something they call Talache tea. And they both say Watson took this. Watson says that he ended up, he was arrested in Van Nuys in L.A., um, crawling on his hands and knees among a crowd of schoolchildren saying, Beep, 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 beep. He was arrested for being under the influence of drugs. He said that trip lasted for 10 days. Now, here's a coincidence. When I was in LA, I think it was 91, and I went, had lunch, Steve Hassen, Jolly West, we had lunch. And Steve, out of nowhere, and Steve doesn't remember this, but it you know, it struck me at the time. Steve looked to Jolly. Jolly was one of the world's leading experts on drugs. I mean, how many people have killed an elephant with LSD? One. And um, Tusco the elephant was a terrible thing. But he knew about drugs. And so Steve said to him, what drug were the Manson family taking? And Jolly said, without a pause, Jimson weed, also known as loco weed. And
1: if I, if I might for a second, just because I have it pulled up here. Um, Datura stromonium. Yeah, whether as...
0: it's stramonium or inoxer, I'm not sure. That, uh-huh. that I'm still researching that. But, but it is there the jimson weed, the loco weed. Yep,
1: thorn apple, jimson weed, devil's snare, Yep, devil's trumpet. <laughs> it's apparently yep. a musical drug. Uh, poison. Poivness... because
0: of the angel's trumpet, it's also called angel's trumpet for the beautiful flowers. It's so, it's it's not illegal. This terrible drug. You no. can buy it on the yeah, internet and exactly. it will drive you crazy. It is not this is not nice stuff. This is not like a happy psychedelic drug. Uh-huh. This is a, a drug class called a delirient. It puts you into another reality. You are inside a nightmare.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what it describes here. It's an aggressive, invasive weed Uh, Across the world, frequently been employed in traditional medicine to treat a variety of ailments, also been used as a hallucinogen, um, taken to cause intense, sacred, or occult visions. It is Mm -hmm. unlikely ever to become a major drug of abuse owing to effects upon both mind and body frequently perceived as being highly unpleasant giving rise to a state of profound and long-lasting disorientation or delirium with a potentially fatal outcome. And that story you told was one of, I'm sure, a legion of bad stories connected with this stuff. But it was available to the Manson family because it grew freely in the hills, yeah?
0: That's right. And um, one of the locals, uh, who I think was, was a Native American, had told a member of the family about this drug she was cooking it up and both Manson and Watson confirm separately the story which is she was cooking up the root of this plant and Watson walked in took the whole piece and swallowed it and that was in April of 1968 the murders would be at the end of July beginning of August and Manson says, and Manson is not a reliable witness, but Manson says he never saw Tex Watson uh, again from April 68 until the trial when he was not under the influence of Datura. Now, by strange happenstance, not only do we have, of all people, Jolly West telling us this is what was was used, uh, along with a lot of LSD and smoking dope and what have you, uh, by the way, uh, Charles Manson was teetotal, just like Hitler. He was also a vegetarian. Just when like you Hitler.
1: say when you say teetotaler, you mean no alcohol, or because he was <laughs> no clearly taking drugs.
0: T- teetotal is is a reference just the to alcohol. a total abstinence from alcohol. Okay, good. Temperance movement. That, that's my understanding of it. Fair enough. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's it's just uh, emphasising the letter T at the beginning, T total. It doesn't mean you only drink tea, Um, which, uh, you know, could give you problems as well, but not the same ones. So why wasn't this in there? Then I go to Gwyn's book and he just mentions, oh, yeah, Tex Watson took Belladonna and was arrested on the sidewalk. But he doesn't tell us what the effects of this drug are. Now, this is one for me. When I was 17... I read a book that referred to the India Hemp Drugs Commission. Now, this was the largest survey of drugs ever performed. It was in the 1890s. I don't think anybody's gone beyond it now. There were 10,000 people interviewed, wow. and you know, usually gold standard studies stop at a thousand. And all sorts of assertions were being made about the dangers of cannabis. And they they produced, I think, eight volumes and. Their conclusion was was simple, that cannabis should remain legal. There was no evidence of harm, that the allegations that it was driving people mad. They'd investigated, they'd interviewed more than 200 people who'd been labelled psychotic by the police, who when they arrested them said they're obviously stoned. And they interviewed more than 200 people who'd been put into hospitals for this, and not one of them had ever taken cannabis. So that wasn't the problem. Um, cannabis was ultimately banned because of a allegation about cannab- you know, cannabis is the source of psychosis. We now right. know that isn't. We now know that isn't true. That's right. Um, but the report said cannabis should remain legal, alcohol should remain illegal mm-hmm. in India because of its bad effects. Datura should be extirpated. I think it's the first time I ever saw the word extirpated to pull up by the roots and destroy. Oh wow. Which- of course, the United Nations had had this in its charter about uh, cannabis, that it should be destroyed around the world from in the 60s. They put forward a statement, which they have now withdrawn. Good, to...
1: good, because cannabis so I'd heard is the of... most like, wrongly scheduled drug. But isn't it interesting how this ties into... The massive amounts of false information, I mean, almost flat out propaganda campaigns that have been waged by the U.S. and other governments and other religious institutions against drugs to cause them to be so incorrectly scheduled and wrong way too, And yeah. alcohol at the top of the list of everybody's everything's great with that even though it causes far more damage. But I don't mean to get on a stump on drugs. I'm just pointing out that part of the Manson picture that is so bizarre to me that it is not highlighted more comes out of the cultural bias, the cultural prejudice even, of how we thought about drugs during that time that this all went down and the importance we placed on various substances because uh, cannabis was the was the was the death drug in the 60s, but Detura, this Jimson weed, was ignored, and yet it's a massive red flag in the middle of all this. When you're looking at what could cause somebody to go psychotic, and in a and in a, an absolute insane murder fest rage, kill these people, what could? What could have caused this? And there it is, right in the middle of the picture going, hi. And everybody ignores it. Except, yeah, except and, Jolly yeah. West, who says, yeah, gypsum weed. They were probably on gypsum weed, guys. Hmm. And he's Be- the one getting because- lambasted as the bad guy here. I, I You just can't yeah. make this stuff up, you know? I'm sorry, I just had to comment on that because it just drives me crazy, man. It drives me crazy how um how people do that.
0: Been... Yeah. Yeah. Too, anyway, too I right. Think you froze yeah, for a so we, we're, there, in a yeah. of a re- we're in a situation of a We're in a reversal that, you know, again, O'Neill says that that Manson used LSD to program the family. Now I'll admit that you can create community using LSD, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't program people. And I'm pretty sure it's why Ron Hubbard named it as the worst drug, because people will take an LSD trip and their perspective on the world will change. So all of that, it's a deprogramming drug. And that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, you could have routines and habits that are useful to you that go out the window. So I'm not advocating the use of anything. Datura, on the other hand, I talked with an ethnobotanist who was just amazing. And I don't have his permission to name him, but I do want to say I just this guy did me such a favor because I I met him 30 years ago. And 30 years later, I I find him and say, do you know something about Datura? And he immediately within 24 hours, I've got this long screed explaining what it does. And one of the things he said, and I put it in the article, in fact, I put most of what he said in the article that's on Tony Ortega's underground bunker, that detour is the very definition of a bad trip. And just the thought, you know, if you're tripping for 10 days, you're not sleeping. If we just forget about everything else, and your whole mental process, the, the brain is cleaned out while we sleep. So this guy is and and you look at Tex Watson, Tex, Tex Watson's a kind of straight A's um, high school graduate who, who played you know for the football team and he gets recruited, he's recruited by Manson and he twice leaves Manson and nobody recruits him back, he goes back because of the allure of this group. So I'm kind of thinking well you know Scientology, the study of Scientology has an influence. That what has not been understood by these authors, as, as you said earlier, is this isn't a faith. You know, those of us who are involved don't tend to see it as a religion. We tend to see it as a therapeutic system that teaches you how to gain influence over other people. That's right. And Hubbard himself talks about 8C, you know, that habit of, for some reason, not using the infinity symbol but using an 8 to replace it. 8C, infinite control. That's right. And among the things that Manson will have done, we have a training routine zero is is on the list. They give a list of some of the things they found out. It is almost inevitable because he was doing control communication, havingness processes, objective processes with Lania Raymer 150 hours. He was doing training routine zero. I am pretty sure he will have done the upper indoctrination training routines. Mm,
1: that was were those those were not on the list, though, of what was reported to Mary Sue?
0: No, and it's it's a very cursory list, but but to have co- and they also there's no record of the books he read. Now, Manson claims that he learned to read and write at this time, this is not true. Um, he, he had a poor reading standard, but he could read and write before then, because yeah. there are school reports, he went through a horrifically abusive time in a Catholic reform school from the age of 12. And as he points out, you know, when you only weigh 65 pounds and you're not five feet tall, you have a pretty bad time of it. Now, throughout prison, of course, and he'd spent from the age of 12 to the age of 32, he spent most of his time in institutions Mm. and he's small and he will have been picked on. Mm -hmm. And then he learns, well, the media call it the Manson stare. We call it training routine zero. That's right. Some people call it the predator stare. And he's being taught a subject. Scientology doesn't pretend about this. It teaches you how to control other people. That's right. Even physically, it teaches you how to control other people. Manson picked up tricks from there.
1: Well, let me point out right now, just as an analogy, with Scientology and in the world of Scientology, because we're talking a bit about Manson's stature and and size and and puniness and the fact that he was bullied. Um, David Miscavige, a little tiny guy. Very, very physical guy, but hmm. tiny. Hmm. And if you and yet he has thousands at his beck and call, right? He yep. has ultimate power. And he does. I'm not I'm not even like joking right now. He does. He can call people before him. And if he wants, and it's been done, he can beat the shit out of them and they won't fight back. Yeah. Right. Or if they do, he's got three other guys who will deal with that. So there is something to this. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I want to put that out there that, the that having been, and you, John's done this, and maybe people who are listening to this don't know what the hell we're talking about. So let me, let me just say briefly When we talk about TRs and we talk about Scientology exercises or practical things that it does, teaches people, these are things that are meant to be empowering. And they are. And they empower you because they teach you kind of similar with neurolinguistic programming. They're teaching you things that work and you don't necessarily understand exactly why. And you don't necessarily understand what it's doing. You know Mm. that if you stare at somebody in their eyes... You can make a difference in how they think about it, you and what they do when you give them commands. It's, it's weird. That doesn't mean it's not true. There's something, there's something to that. Now, L. Ron Hubbard will tell you, oh, well, it's your thetan and your infinite control and your exerting intention. Maybe. There's other explanations. doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is that Charles Manson would do this feel empowered by it because that's the effect it has on people. And he talked positively about it years later. So we know this. And these exercises are meant to put you under control and teach you how to control others. And I don't, and that's not hyperbolic statement. That's not like, oh, Chris is just exaggerating. No, that's exactly what it was designed for. So even if you go in to learning about this stuff in a prison setting, you have a dedicated trained Scientologist in that prison teaching Charles Manson these techniques. Mm -hmm. And these are lasting procedures. These are not just, oh, I had a moment. Oh, the Lord overtook my, you know, took my heart. It's not that kind of thing. It's a, oh, you're teaching me a skill which I can then use to not be bullied. And to have power and control and influence over other people around me. And if there was one thing that definitely would have been of fantastic interest to Charles Manson in 1962, it would have been gaining the ability to have power and control over other people. And Scientology gives that to you. And it's nefarious and it's underhanded and it's manipulative as hell, which is why it's unethical, which is why we decry it. But that doesn't mean that it can't work or that people don't do it and get results. And they do. And that needs to be said here. And maybe this has all just been kind of understood in the conversation here. So I realized maybe we should say this out loud for people that that this experience that Manson could have had in prison could have been incredibly influential. And that is why we're harping on it. So, sorry, John, back to you.
0: No, no. Harp away um you know when we first met at toronto we did a presentation which is on my channel um with steve hassan and christian schurko um where we analyzed some auditing techniques and some training routines and um, we had a great good time with training routine eight where um christian you you taught christian how to put his intention into an ashtray that's right very successfully ashtrays now just rise up off chairs whenever he walks past that's right. that these that that there's you know this isn't hidden at all this is you know one of the procedures or set of procedures that Manson did in prison are called control communication havingness processes that's right um havingness is getting stuff communication I think we know what that means but control is the front end of that I thought that yeah, as I looked into this, I thought, well, I've got a story here, you know, that that people should be looking into this. That's my story. And people should be looking at the Scientology connection a bit more deeply. And people should be looking at the, the use of Dutura more deeply. That's and right. Because when you add these things in, the, the picture changes. and But I expected that what I'd find would be that manson had had this involvement yeah it went on for a while and 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 it had taught him how to stare and and little bits and pieces maybe but it didn't seem to me to be essential to the manson story and then i started finding some things out that are not obvious unless you know what you're looking at so for example um he believed in reincarnation okay That's fair enough. He believed in reincarnation. That's a core Scientology belief, but it's a core belief for probably two thirds of the world's population.
1: That's right. I mean, including Christians from a certain point of view in terms of eternal life in heaven.
0: Yeah, you have an incarnation there, but but he believed in it in the way that Scientologists believe in it, which is not the same way that Hindus and Buddhists believe in it. To a Hindu or a Buddhist, reincarnation is, is called the fear of the eternal return. The most terrifying thought to a Hindu or a Buddhist is the thought they'll be born again. It's not a good thing. Oh, you are trying a flavor of,
1: of that that I'd never picked up before. That's interesting. Yep.
0: The wheel of suffering. Ah, Reincarnation okay. is the wheel of suffering. You want to stop suffering. You want to enter nirvana. Or if you're a Hindu, you want to become part of the great spirit, Paramatman. So you are dissolving yourself. You're getting rid of the self. Now, the Scientology New Age view is yeah i'll do it in my next lifetime you know well no you'll be reborn as an earwig so it's it's not a good thing to look forward to you know the hindu thing you've got like eighty thousand incarnations before you become human again so watch out here make a good job of it so but manson takes it as a positive thing in the same way that scientology does but then i ran across the word postulate and when i found and It's uh, in Diane Lake's book, really, she suddenly starts talking about Charlie postulating things and teaching them to postulate things. Now, the word postulate, as far as I understand it, is a basic philosophical premise. That's its meaning. It's a word that was hijacked by Hubbard, and redefined in simple terms to mean wish. And as far as I know, it's unique to Scientology in that meaning, Correct. Scientology derivatives.
1: That's right. I've not seen it used that way. It's, a, it's used in science and stuff as put forward an idea,
0: postulate yeah.
1: a thing, right? But Hubbard absconded with it. And in fact, I'm looking up right now. I got the, the dictionary, the Scientology dictionary in front of me right now. And um, postulate is uh, defined in numerous places in Scientology. And it is exactly in Scientology a self-created truth would be simply the consideration generated by self. Well, we just borrow the word, which is in seldom use in the English language, we call that postulate. And we mean by postulate, self-created truth. He posts something, he puts something up, and that's what a postulate is.
0: Yeah, and and we came to understand that, you know, the the Thetan has the ability to postulate and to perceive. Those are the two abilities that the Spirit Self has that's the lot you can postulate and you can perceive. And by postulate, there he is talking about making something come into being. Mm. You postulate it; it comes to exist. It's a fundamental idea that you know. He um, he made negative comments about Mary Baker Eddy before he started Scientology and this ridiculous idea that you control the world through thought, and then he cashed in on it exactly. (laughs) that's right he was knocking the competition
1: while literally doing the exact same thing that was Hubbard to a T.
0: and we've said from that we've got the secret and the law of attraction that's right we've had, you know uh trump's guru um norman vincent peel the yep. power of positive thinking we, we've had so many of these things which you know it, it doesn't really bear thinking about that that you know the idea that one of what seven and a half eight billion people let alone the clams and earwigs on this planet is determining everything that happens so that they'll get an ice cream or or something that you know it's it's just a silly narcissistic inflation when a human being thinks that they are determining the weather or you know the outcome of sporting events from their power of wishing you know, there there was a huge experiment performed uh, by Christians to to show the power of prayer, and unfortunately, it didn't work. That, Sorry, that guys, there was nothing. Sorry, but as somebody wrote to New Scientist, the only reason it didn't work was that he was praying that it wouldn't work. Of so, course. <laughs> suddenly, Diane Lake is talking about Charlie postulating things. Yeah. So we've got a fundamental scientology notion that's moved yeah. in here yep. and there are, he also used space hand mimicry did he where he would get his followers to put hand up against and try and follow his hand which of course is from the communication control havingness process right. which he received from scientology that's right. and hypnotists will point out this is a way of bringing somebody into it's called pacing by hypnotists you get somebody to follow what you are doing, or you follow their breathing, and then you can change and they will follow you. It, it's like uh, in Dead Poets Society, where he, Robin Williams has all the boys walking and they fall into lockstep. That's right. And he says, and quite rightly, this is a natural phenomenon called pacing by hypnotists and used in objective processes by Scientology and That's used right. by Charles Manson quite frequently. I'll swear. And, I, and I want to
1: point out, just, as, just for, for everybody to know this, you don't have to know why something works in order for it to work. It's not necessarily part of the picture here that Charles Manson was an evil genius who understood every little nuance of this stuff. With people like that, one of the things I've, m- I've made a point about about cult leaders for some time now is that, because it's an important one, is that often they just kind of organically, circumstantially fall into this position? Hmm. Manipulate events. Don't get me it. wrong. I'm not saying it's all an accident, but they don't always necessarily understand what they're doing. They just know if they do this and this and this, it works. And here he and so here, if we if we look at this this timeline of events and go well, in 1962, he's introduced to all this stuff in a very intensive fashion in a short period of time in prison and he uh, uses some of it and it looks like it works. Maybe he didn't get beaten up. Maybe he actually got somebody to do what he wanted for once. And he goes, Hey, you know, that's, and here he is applying these procedures later. So we, I just wanted to make that point that it's not necessarily evil genius driving this sometimes. Sometimes it's just this works and I'm going to keep doing it.
0: Yeah. And, and that to me, I think there's a tremendous difference between cunning and intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. But- yeah. Um. Ron Hubbard's never, you know, never really struck me as as a an educated man. He's not well read. Mm-mm. Um. He occasionally refers to Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, or the 1910 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's right. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't refer to major literature. He makes mistakes. So in the of all places, the um, false data stripping. Uh, oh, policy. Yes. He talks about the syllogism yes. being developed by Socrates. And of course, as he says in the Phoenix lectures more correctly, 23 years before, it's Aristotle, you know, a pupil of Socrates's pupil. So I'd just like to strip that false data. There may be people that think false data stripping works because they have false data on it. <laughs> exactly. But it was in fact like Aristotle. He's you know he's not his references to literature are minimal. He doesn't appear to be in the least bit well read. Oh and no, he, he
1: didn't he dedicate
0: one of the books. He also to, exhibits
1: uh, didn't he dedicate one of the books to Korzybski And then later on admitted in a lecture he never read him
0: Yeah that's that's right. Um I think it's eight thousand and eight has Korzybski mm-hmm. in and what I learned was I, I was in touch with um A Van Vogt the great science fiction writer who stopped writing the moment he met Dianetics and spent the rest of his life I was in him like 34 years later and he had not written anymore which really annoyed me because I think he was one of the great storytellers really was um, of the golden age of science fiction much better storyteller than Ron Hubbard in fact but we won't get into that but um that there's there's this thing about I've lost my thread. Where, I am where so were we sorry
1: getting? that I, I I totally threw you off there with that. And I apologize. But you were um, we were going on about uh, Manson and the TRs and controlling and the postulate word. And then I kind of derailed with the references to Korzybski and stuff there. But you were on a path on going from the... Um...
0: Korzybski. Yeah, yeah. The Van, Vogt, Van Vogt wrote a novel called The World of A, which is an attempt to explain Korzybski and both... Van Vogt and Sarah, the bigamous second wife, the I had no second wife, um, who gave him the child Alexis, I I had no children with her either. Uh, I just looked after her because she she looked looked very much like me, and then threatened to chop her up and throw her in the river in Cuba when she was a year old. There are so many stories around this man. Yeah. Um, that, That they both had read Korzybski. And Probably Science of Survival is an attempt to get on the bandwagon of, of Science of Sanity, mm-hmm. uh, the, the great Korzybski book, which I also haven't read. And But there are certain ideas like infinity-valued logic that's in Science of Survival. Uh, that comes from Kauzybski. Um The map is not the territory. The word is not the thing itself. That's right. There's the that's idea fair. underneath, rational emotion. Sarah
1: probably explained it to him one night.
0: Yeah. and and, and Van Vogt told him a bit about it, yeah. and that seems to be how he got most of his ideas. He That's right. he probably subscribed to the Reader's Digest, because he did not have the attention span to study anything in depth, you know. And he just grabs, you know, like it looks as if the study tech came from the Eastman Kodak course he was studying, which he keeps talking about. Uh, I've not managed to get a hold of it, but. So he'll just grab something, and as he says, to make something persist, you must enter a lie into it. And that's something all Scientologists should think about. Why does Scientology persist? What's the Fact. lie? The lie is that it works. Uh, there you go. Very simple. It will actually, you know, you'll be chasing your tail forever. You won't achieve any of the abilities that you've been promised from the start. It doesn't happen.
1: That's right. But But the point there there being, of course, that, you know, or a point that could emerge from this that I wanted to say out loud is that even Hubbard might not have fully understood everything he was actually doing to people. He just knew the effects and he went, I like that effect. I'll just make up a reason why. <laughs> it's your thetan. it's your overts, it's your missed withholds, it's your out list, it's your you know he's got a laundry list of things in Scientology as to why people act the way they do. none of it's true, but it sounds so good, <laughs> you know, it's a good and that, story yeah, it's storytelling yeah you
0: know. and it and it it oversimplifies everything about the human process that's right but the 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 point you know it's it again Elron Hubbard jr. Scientology works, not as Elron Hubbard says it works, but as Elron Hubbard intends it to work. That's right. And as Elron Hubbard himself said, "We have ways of making slaves here." Yep. Now he then says, "Let's make sure none are made. It's in the Philadelphia Doctorate course, and I was told off by their lead lawyer, Kendrick Moxon, for just quoting the first part of the statement. So if Kendrick is, is watching today, uh, there you go." Uh, however, he didn't make sure that none were made. And most certainly Scientology is guilty of human trafficking, of modern slavery. And, you know, reading um, Janice Gillam Grady's account of her time in the Commodore's Messenger Organization, she was the founding member of of the CMO um, at the age of 12. She talks about the Apollo being a slave ship. And I I think that's an accurate reflection. So, what I'd say is that what Manson and I agree with you, I don't think any of these gurus really understand the techniques. Mm -hmm. I think that you and I probably understand them a great deal more deeply. I've spent 40 years pulling out these techniques and writing about them. So, I know that if you stare at something, you get the Gansfeld effect, where your perception will be distorted because the brain's not getting any feedback or the mind is not getting any feedback. So, you sit in a completely dark room within 10 minutes, you'll hear things. The, yep. You'll hear the feedback in your own mind. You will sense things moving around you. So anything that brings your know, fixation, repetition and mimicry. They're my three. You do any of those things to somebody and you'll put them into a different state of mind, Yep, an altered state of mind, That's where right. they will very often feel euphoric and they'll feel great. So it's a good thing you've done. Well, that's nothing. Therapy is not about feeling great. Therapy is about getting better relationships. And Scientology does not do that.
1: It, it, you know, exactly. It worsens them.
0: Yeah. And you destroys know? them often as not.
1: Oh, uh, because it makes because it makes them and, and it can't help it. I mean, you know, just since we're off on this little eddy here for a second, and it's a good one. That, 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 they can't help themselves. You understand? It's not that Scientology has these little gems, and if we could just excise them and and put them there without all the other stuff, then it would be great. That's not that's not how this works. It's it's you break it down and you realize these are methods of control, yeah. and they are assigned. A level of interpretation that makes it look and sound as though free will is involved, choice is involved, and you're having a great time freeing your thetan. And those are just interpretations of what are control methods that actually make you more introverted, more introspective in a, in a negative way, right? Like constantly questioning yourself and your motives and intentions. And that's never a good thing, by the way. And makes you self-doubt, puts you in a constant loop of of self-image, you know, like, like derangement. You're constantly mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, is it me? Is it my reactive mind? What's going on here? Oh, it's just my overt. I mean, the loop just plays on an endless stream. And this is what Scientology does to you. And you're chasing these highs, these euphoric moments that are not hard to create, but then, like I said, this interpretation is put on it the spin, so to speak, that always puts you back under Scientology's control. Oh, you like that? Well, we're not done yet. You got so much more to do, and it's only $10,000 and, 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 right? And it's constantly spinning you right back to where you started. And I really want to stress that because these Mm -hmm. things are, are not good. They're not moral. You know, they're immoral. They're immoral approaches to helping people. and and that's really the core of what Scientology is really all about. And you give it to somebody like Manson, and they can kind of see right away what this can do for them. And they're mm. not thinking about it from, oh, I'm going to help all these people. <laughs> You know, this is a personality that wants power and control and influence over other people. And here's a tool set that makes that so much easier to accomplish. Hmm. That's, what, that's what we're really kind of getting down to and what Manson learned in prison and what this stuff is really all about. So just because you have a positive effect and somebody's smiling doesn't mean you've done a, done them a favor.
0: Well, and if if we look at it, absolutely, I agree with you. If if we look at it in clinical terms, what Scientology and many many other systems do is induce hypomania. There you go. they Induce a state of unnatural happiness. Yes. Undeserved, unuseful happiness, and it, you know, it, we. I was talking talking this uh, this. Lovely man, we'll put up a video with, with him, which I recorded, a man called John Hunter, who's uh, has a psychology PhD. And his study has been large group awareness trainings.
1: Ah. And
0: Mark Forum. And how they, over a period of days, will break you. And this, he, his story is quite fascinating. He had a manic episode in 2003. So he was a business guy and he was—he really didn't want to do this again. So he found out everything he could. He's a very smart guy. And then in 2010, he went on to a large group awareness training in Elgat, And they talked about the transformations you'd achieve. And he went, but they're the symptoms of hypomania. Uh-huh. And so he watched the course from that perspective, went on and did a PhD studying this. And he's come up with, straightforward idea because it's been so much studied in bipolar disorder that what you're doing is by stressing somebody by putting them in the hot seat by you know uh, tearing them down in front of a group of people by you know fairly typical day in the steel organization i know Um, you put that stress on them they will produce more dopamine in response to it to try and maintain homeostasis. Of the brain, mm. and then you pull the stress away, and you say now you've achieved enlightenment, and all that dopamine floods, and you get the faith healing response. You get you know the adrenaline, the opioid response, the oxytocin, the serotonin. All this great stuff is kicking about, yep. and for about three days, maybe longer. There, there are people I've read accounts of people staying in the state for forty years, but for about three days, you will be high. Then Scientology has it, the roller coaster, then you'll get the collapse because you're no longer producing a sufficient amount of of this chemistry. Right. Um, And so you just have that auditing junkie sort of thing. I felt high then and I want to feel high again. Cocaine is so much less damaging, you know. Oh, Um, my God, I'm I'm telling you. absolutely not recommending cocaine here, guys, no, 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 it's less damaging.
1: (laughs) No, but I They're saw with your eyes. Them. I I did. I saw I saw pre clears people Scientologists right coming into the org, desperate for their fix, hmm. and that's the only way to describe it. I don't. I you know we're analogizing it to drugs, but I'm telling you, that's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. You know. I even at the time I was disturbed by it as a Scientologist. I was like, damn, this woman is a little scary because she was like, I don't. I yesterday I felt so good, and today I only feel normal. And 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 something must be wrong. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, and so she had to get back in session and she was paying for it. So, of course, we were going to put her back in session and, you know, just feeding the junkie. And that's Mm -hmm. I I just don't know how else to describe it.
0: I I watched a documentary about Ye, the man who the the artist formerly known as Kanye West. (laughs) And a woman who came up with him, she was doing slam poetry when he first emerged. And before he made a reputation, and she was later diagnosed with bipolar, as as he has been, Mm. and she said something I thought was incredibly astute, which was, of course, when you're in hypomania, you think that's your normal state, Mm. that's where you want to be, and there are serious problems with hypomania. One of them is that your judgment is shit. (laughs) You know that we we cannot work when we get too high. We we can't make our discernment goes, and, and we then write a success story and go to the registrar and borrow 10,000 pounds that we haven't got, and and away we go. That's
1: um, right. that's Oh, God, that nails it so well. I mean, it's those states that you're trying to get people in in Scientology when you are trying to get money out of them or you're trying to recruit them. And, yeah. and we would do that, man. We would do that. We either sock them in or blow them out of their head. Either place, they were in a position where they were so much easier to control.
0: Yeah, you either go for the fear of worsening. Yep. this is going to get worse, isn't it? Or you go for the high that, that they're going to get, and they oh. become controllable. Er, earlier, you you used a sci- the Scientology term in talking about, um you know, what's happening during the auditing process. You, you said when somebody is given a command. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, the word that Hubbard uses for what the rest of us would call questions. He's actually using the hypnotist term: "You command the person." And of course, when he talks about hard selling, in and I should be promoting here, we've we've just released the audio book of Scientology: The Cult of Greed, and um, in there, that this is the stripped down, you know, complete guide to what Scientology really is and yeah you get to that point where you're being commanded to do something you you're being ordered to do something that's right. when we get to hard selling I, I put together in in a page of his hard sell statements that you treat people you know they're in already in a hypnotic state that's the way you look at the people around you and you Order them to do things. You command them to do things. You push them around, and there's the foundation of what we're talking about with Manson—that he found a system where you could—and it's amazing when you see Darren Brown or somebody doing it, that you can just, with about a third of the population, you can just tell them what to do and they'll do it. That's right. So one of the, one of the ones that Darren Brown did—it was he'd go to the racetrack and he'd have a ticket on a losing horse. And he'd put the ticket down, smack the the window, and go, "That's the one." And about a third of the time, he got paid on tickets that were for losing horses because you're. A, it's that simple. Another one is, um, is a trick that came out of, uh, of of the Moscow underworld that that Darren Brown then tried out. You walk up to somebody, and you use a confusion technique, which yeah. is foundational to hypnosis get them confused and you've got control so you hand them your bottle of water while asking them a question while asking them directions and then you say give me your wallet and your keys and again about a third of the time you see him on camera doing this and people are giving him their things and in russia they had this problem it's like is this actually a crime right You said Give me your stuff. And you gave it, you know, and you see people walking away and they get like 10 paces and and, and you can see the confusion. What, what just happened? So yep. as Hubbard said, and as Manson found, people can just be directed to do things. That's right. Um, the difference another,
1: between what what we're doing and what Darren Brown's doing versus what Manson and Hubbard did is we analyze it, break it down to tell you the anatomy of it. And then we don't do it because we realize how evil it is. Right? I mean, that's, and this has actually been a little bit of a problem for me over the years because there have been times when I've been like, I have access to information. I mean, I could do things with people. I could, I could mess with people. And you just don't. And, and I have always wondered why I don't. And I'm always like sitting there going, well, because, Chris, you don't want to. Because I don't want to hurt people or mess with people that way, and it's it just it kind of impossible for me too. But it's really funny how people can get this information and not even understand it as well as we do, and they can make millions with this stuff. It's it's mind blowing,
0: really is. Yeah, and you know we, you know let's let's stop messing around. Let's just start our own cult. You know, right? Why are we doing this? I realized about 20 years ago that I knew more about this than Ron Hubbard did. Because I've spent so much time, you know, I spent 20 years then studying it. And you kind of going, yeah. When I left Scientology, I had uh, four friends who studied neurolinguistic programming. And they wanted me to do it too. And I, I said, look, I've just spent nine years learning how to control people. And I've decided it's wrong. I've decided that magic of any kind where you're trying to get somebody you're intending somebody to do something without their consent is unethical and that's all there is to it you know giving them a love token so that somebody will fall in love no it's all wrong and so i studied nlp ericksonian hypnosis this kind of stuff from the outside i talked with people who do it and there are people who do it ethically of course there are Mm -hmm. um you know hypnotherapists Mm-hmm. but i would say that that it's important to understand how it works and what's going on to the extent that we can understand that and then and so often over the over the years people have come to me and said oh john you know you you must be doing these things because you know how to do them and it's like that's like telling a doctor that he's giving people diseases right i'm here telling you how it works so that it won't work you know but it scares people. It's, you know, they know this stuff happens, but they don't want you to understand it because you might use it. And you're kind of going, well, in fact, and we should have a whole thing about this the, the state of hypnosis, of being able to enter trances, is useful and you can use it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how it works, it works all the time. it's always there. I mean, one of the the big lie in Scientology and much of psychotherapy and religion is this idea that there's this alien being inside you that is invisible to you that is controlling you, whether it's the reactive mind, the unconscious mind, demons, body thetans, whatever it is. It's not true. You know, unless you have a psychiatric illness, it's not true. There is no unconscious mind. There's not an agent in there directing you. There are unconscious processes, and they're part of your whole being, and you can be aware of them at different levels. But there's not a little evil id or superego sitting in there directing you. And that fear, putting that fear into people, that their body thetans, you know, Hubbard himself, as we know from Serge Fowth, went to his death believing that the body thetans had taken over you know and maybe they had who knows uh, he, to Man- he
1: certainly was terrified of them but that's but that's exactly right is that it, 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 anyway this is just really important stuff i'm glad we're saying these things out loud right now
0: yeah it need, it, it. all needs to be said and, and, and thought about and, and right. hopefully you know our commentators will will add to this picture as they so often do and give us more insight in, into yeah. it because this is a a community effort this isn't a matter of l Ron hubbard handing down wisdom to the people this is us investigating exploring and being willing because of you know what science is being willing if there's better evidence to change our hypothesis of what what's happening exactly return to manson another thing that he was said about him by several people was that he could change his behavior his and he called it changing hats, which is uh, I found very interesting because here we have deep Scientology changing your beingness, changing your persona, according to. Now, of course, we were drilled in that in terms of emotional tone. We were taught and I, I don't know how much of a minority I was in, but I refused to ever use the tone scale to bring somebody down when I was told that you've got to do that. I think I did the drill once. And after that, it was like I—that's I, not me. I don't want to upset people. I would never use fear of worsening to recruit somebody. Or, or this, it just seemed incredibly manipulative to me, and it is.
1: I, but I, he talks I'll, about—I'll say it. I did it. It is. I, I, I own it. It's. I did it a lot. You try to drive people down, and through their guilt and shame, you can control them just as much as through their euphoria.
0: Yeah and and through of course phobia through through fear right. and through disgust through aversion which is that's a major player in the indeed indie wars that that people are using aversion you've associated with this person therefore you are loathsome and it's like you know i'll associate with anybody i'll talk with with anybody i i've talked with people whose views are diametrically opposed to my own i will talk with sexists with racists with you know, fascists, whatever you like, I will talk with them because that way I might be able to effect a change of some kind by shunning them. And we talked about this in our council culture video by by shunning people and ideas. We get nowhere. We just have people with megaphones yelling at, at people to F off, you know, and it really gets nowhere. So we have I'm him. Not- we have him. Yeah. You know, so I'm getting all of these little bits of information and I'm kind of going, I'm going to have to write about this. Because nobody seems to have. And then I get the mind-blowing piece of information. I thought, yeah, he's got some Scientology stuff. He thinks he's the reincarnation of Jesus. He tells his followers he's the reincarnation of Jesus. Man, son, son of man. Now, just as a little footnote, his mum was 16 when she gave birth to him. She was rebelling against a puritanical mother and um, his father was not called Manson. Uh, She married a guy called Manson. So just as Ron Hubbard, if we trace back his father was not called Hubbard, he was born Wilson. So, you know, we should have Ron Wilson. There is no, you know, Harry Ross Hubbard was adopted. Uh, Yeah. You see this, this, this. Oh, Harry Ross Hubbard's father was an adopted child. Harry Harry Ross himself was adopted and his birth name was Wilson not Hubbard so all of the stuff about the Hubbard name forget it he was Ron Hubbard is is the son of somebody who was adopted by people ah, from I Hubbard. did not know that No see so come here and you find Yeah right look at that Look at
1: that okay interesting so, so you carry on <laughs>
0: Manson fundamentally teaches his followers that helter skelter is going to come not one of the Manson family knew what a helter skelter was it's probably a very British thing you know it, it's a, a, a conical building that has a slide on it that goes round you sit on a coconut coir mat and down you go and, and that was that was how we used to get our fun before the internet and television so, But none of the Manson family knew that it's a, a child's entertainment. And that they thought it was this, you know, that Paul McCartney had written this song about this terrible thing. And this was going to be a war between the, the blacks and the whites. Manson did say that he felt that the blacks would win and should win because they'd been oppressed. I don't think he knew statistically what the ratio of black to white people is in the US because it would be a stretch for them, you know, for that to happen.
1: Yeah, Um would have been.
0: It's like the Jews running all of America. Well, only 2 million of them there, you know, out of least, what 350, come on. yeah, um, Zionist organized government indeed. So Manson's got this, he seems to have been quite careful in talking about blacks. He himself grew up in a completely racist system. Of course, the institutions he was in would have been segregated. He wouldn't have spent much time with black people. Mm. And, you know, the system looked down on them. Uh, he is not a civil rights baby, but he seems to have been very careful in talking to the family not to use the N word. He talks about blackie that 's the word he uses, mm. and he says the blacks will take over, and by that time, we will have found the bottomless pit in Death Valley, and they were exploring Death Valley looking for this Eden that the manson told them about it 's underground and yet trees grow there. Now, I have a bit of a problem with that. I understand that trees need light. You know, that could just be me being difficult.
1: Well, Um, obviously it is, John. I mean, you're just letting facts get in the way of a very, very epic tale here.
0: A good story, yeah. Never never let that happen. And the members of the family didn't understand that the bottomless pit is a reference to hell, you know which is kind of interesting and manson told them there's there are 12 different trees and they have a fruit for each month of the year we won't need to get any other we won't need to go dumpster diving to to get our food anymore which is how they got their food yeah for the most part and we will find this we'll go and hide there and then the black people having taken over the us will realize get this they're not smart enough to run it and they will come looking for the second coming of Jesus.
1: Wow. Charlie. That was his narrative?
0: And the amazing thing is, I've had to pull this story from all over the place, and it's like it's pretty straightforward. It's like when I I came to write The Cosmology of Scientology, and I sell these people a piece of blue sky, and I realized that there was nowhere in Scientology where the cosmology is written down. You've got all of these books, like Fundamentals of Thought, Problems of Work, that are meant to be simplifying it, and you've got all of the data series about the importance of information and prioritizing being so important it never happened okay. and so as far as i know the only place you can read the cosmology of scientology is in my book
1: nobody else. <laughs> it's, it's it's in mine as well because i broke down all the oh, good the ones, but yeah before the
0: beginning was the cause
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: before yep. the beginning was the cause life is basically a static we're all yep. separate r247 separateness pulling all those things together i'm sorry chris i wrote this 20 years before you left. So oh no, time.
1: no, you you nailed it, man. I'm not trying to take your thunder. I'm just saying that <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's you know, right. you're just saying
0: it's, that some somebody else has also done it. I, yeah, I, no, I it's just it. not
1: it's just not laid out anywhere. That was what was so it, I mean, when I was doing my round, when I was, you know, 20 years later, right? When I when I got out, I was sitting there going, Well, how there it's you know, there's there's this whole track reference, there's this markab reference, there's this, and it's not laid out anywhere. And it's kind of like, well, how is this? How is how am I supposed to think about the universe and life and everything? And I realized all my time in Scientology was spent trying to put that picture together. And it was a very, it was a very incomplete puzzle, you know, and I had pieces here Mm -hmm. and here and here. And, and I kept waiting for it to coalesce into a, into a hole. And it never did. And I kept being told, well, you just got to do the OT levels. It's all on the OT levels. The OT levels will cover it. And I finally get out and I read the OT levels and they didn't cover shit. And I was like, what the hell is this? And and you really realize that the big picture is all just a little bit of hints and clues and pieces that you're coining together yourself. And Scientologists all individually have very different ideas about the big picture because of this problem. And yet all of us thought we were on the same page. It was one of the biggest illusion-busting things I've ever done in my life. I couldn't believe how how little there. There is there, you know, and, and yet how complete we all thought it was. And I get anyway, I'm just ranting here, but it's just, you know, the, and, and, when you and said and the word you, 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 you trigger all this in me.
0: <laughs> and in the end, it, the truth is that there's a little guy standing on a stool with a megaphone behind a curtain. Yeah. And he's called the Wizard of Oz. That's right. And, and that's all you get. Exactly. Uh, um, exactly. So, the bombshell, you know. So, you know, he's reading the book of the Revelation of Saint John the Divine, and and he thinks this is what's happening, and and he's, you know, got all of these girls who most of them are runaways, as young as fourteen, yeah. and he's pimping these girls because the other part of his training, of course, was he was a pimp, yep. and he was studying with pimps in prison, and having looked at the techniques of pimps along the way of. I looked about the techniques of just about everybody, and they're the same. The recruiting techniques of um, Al Qaeda are the same as the Moonies. Correct. You know, because the same things work. And so yeah, he's got this idea of controlling people. He's learned the pimp stuff. He's added Scientology to it. But I'm really thinking, Chris, I'm really going, yeah, he's got this Scientology going on. I'm going to point that out, and, and it's all going to be fine. And it's not the main picture you've got datura that needs to be underlined and then i find out one piece of information that sends everything wild in 1968 hmm. so we're more than a year after the a year and a half after he starts the family he sends two of his followers to england to study scientology what 1968 what nine months before the the Tate murder the gary hinman murder the first one yep now think about the cost of plane tickets at that time they're dumpster diving to get their food and he comes up with the money to send two people on return tickets to england to study scientology now the date was what got me this was Somewhere around October nineteen sixty-eight, and I just immediately went, there's only one thing he was after there. He's after OT3. Exactly. Because exactly. it was released in, in June in Edinburgh.
1: That, okay, I was just about to look it up. So June is when RJ sixty seven comes out.
0: Yeah, happy happy starts with David Mayo and Captain Bill and um up in Edinburgh. Wow. And I don't, you know, let's go one step worse. One of these two guys doesn't come back. He dies in England. We've no idea why. There's a whole Manson network of conspiracy about what happened, but, but one of them doesn't get back. I don't think they managed to get OT3. I think they, you know, probably were meant to steal it. And from my interviews with, I mean, Robert Kaufman, um david mayo captain bill you know i interviewed people who were there and i read all the material around it i don't think anybody got their hands on that material and i don't think it matters because it wouldn't have been useful in any way to charles manson what's important in this is that he was still that interested and he still believed that hubbard had things that that he could benefit from so
1: and that he and that he was still on the lines enough, aware enough to know that he had to send people over to England. He couldn't just send them over to LA Org. That's right. Right. That's yeah. something. Yeah. That's something.
0: Yeah. You You could get OT three on the ship. Yep. Uh, but for that, I believe at that time you'd still have to have been Sea Org. Um, but England was the
1: England was the was the causeway was the throughway. If you wanted to get to Hubbard you were going to have to report to St. Hill and then you'd get further instructions from there because they were, they were in hiding out on the ocean, quite quite literally. And their security, they were either on the ocean or they were out down in Tunisia or something. And they were, they were doing cutouts and they were having people travel here and then here and then here, and then picking them up. Mm -hmm. It was a whole security apparatus they had set up. And I'm not saying it it was Fort Knox. I'm saying they were very, very paranoid people. And they were taking great degrees of caution to protect Elrond Hubbard, protect his whereabouts and and safeguard, you know, those advanced course materials. But really what they were doing was safeguarding Hubbard, <laughs> who was at this point yeah, a he, he, criminal and, you know, was all but kicked out of two countries. So,
0: well, it, he he he'd, he'd been thrown out of, of the UK and illegally entered after after being um, named under the Aliens Act as an undesirable alien. Oh,
1: did he go back after that?
0: Okay. Yeah, he. Uh, they they landed and uh, smuggled him ashore. I, I think it was Hannah Whitfield who told me about that. Ah, oh, okay. Um, but so he was. Yeah, he was. He was listed, and so you know, let's just point out that according to his emotional tone scale, that hiding is minus eight. That's right.
1: That's right and he'd also been kicked out of Rhodesia in 66. And I mean like unceremoniously like get the hell out of here. You know, it wasn't like oh you know we're just we have a little technicality with your passport it was like we want you gone dude like like out don't come back.
0: Yeah, I, I, and then that story is not not really been told often enough cuz he would make up the story about he couldn't survive as an OT on his own. That's right. Rhodesia. That's but right. But he wasn't on his own. Oh, he wasn't. And the reason he was kicked The reason he was kicked out of Rhodesia is that the man he'd instructed to steal material from government officers was caught. I interviewed that man. Uh, His name was Morley Glazier. He and his brother Neville were very dedicated Scientologists. And until that happened, and Morley ends up in prison in Rhodesia, and Hubbard, who is the OT who can't survive on his own, is thrown out. Um, so yeah, and you've you've had inquiries in Rhodesia, South Africa, two Australian states, the UK, and Canada, and he is persona non grata, and he's in hiding, and he would stay in hiding for the rest of his life. His tone level never went up above that. Again. It's true. It's, death, it's, you know.
1: it's hilarious. It's 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 uh, it's a funny thing on it's a funny Hubbard riff on Herbert, but it's true. It's mm. absolutely true. This dude went into hiding. And he never came out. And he and even to the I mean, even he needed relief from it at one point when he when he left the ship in 74 to go to New York for a few like nine months or something. But even then, right, he almost got caught. Off he goes. I mean, he, he was just not, you know, Hubbard was the exact opposite of OT in every way, from the point he invented the OT levels forward. I mean, I never really thought about it from that perspective before, but when you frame it that way, you go, God damn, it's true. He was never his own man. He was never at cause over his life at all because he was such a criminal. He was just such a raging
0: criminal and he couldn't help himself. And and he was, he was totally reactive. Yeah. Yeah. He reacted. That's right. You know, he didn't organize. He coped. He, I think from, you know, I, I, let's sell these people a piece of blue sky, one of its titles along the way. And it's still listed in the bibliography of Russell Miller's Barefaced Messiah as Hubbard through the Looking Glass. Oh, that's right. And which, was, which was my preferred title until I heard Don Rogers say, yeah, on the day we opened the Dianetic Institute, he turned to me before opening the door and said, let's sell these people a piece of blue sky. And he most certainly did. Um, So yeah, the, through the looking glass, the, the simple way of with Hubbard, he also said, if you become too incredible, you become invisible. And that, that's the truth. Yep. So it's very hard to believe, but it is the truth that he's the opposite of what he claimed to be. I mean, Chris Owen tells me that he started working on what will hopefully be the definitive history of scientology's harassment and chris is the man to write it just an incredible historian but he said that what stimulated him to write this was he saw a paper i'd written called scientology religion or intelligence agency
1: that's right
0: and i came to the the point of view that that scientology was there to protect and serve ron hubbard it had no other function and it's uh we talked about this before but it's a magical ceremony it's a ritual the whole of Scientology is, is a ritual to elevate and deify Elrond Hubbard. When Marty Rathbun, um, it was about 2014, when he, when he was still pretending to be a good person occasionally, um, he, in one of his blogs said, yeah, Hubbard was, was seeking apotheosis. And I wrote to him and said, you can see me saying that in 1990 in blue sky. And I didn't get a reply. No, but of course not. <laughs> very clearly, it's through the looking glass. Everything is the reverse of what it seems to be. You are being told you will get total freedom. And as Ron Hubbard said, total freedom is, of course, a trap. And uh, here's the road to it. You know? And that that's exactly. that's the right. white tape route to slavery. That's right. Good.
1: Oh it's crazy man it's crazy. All right well listen I'm going to I'm going to um I'm going to do my best to try to not interrupt you while you continue this narrative because um because we've been going for almost 2 hours now and I do want to get to a I, I, th-
0: I think we're about done. That that yeah I'm I, I'm working on a proposal for a book which will include a chapter about this. Um I've been fascinated by the material that I've collected and I'm you know, when I wrote Blue Sky, I thought, you know, I want this to be the final word. I want somebody to be able to read this book and say, well, I don't want to get involved with that. Or, you know, I don't want to be involved with it anymore. And it's been relatively successful in that way. And it, it is, of course, and you too have written um, work that is um, not simply your story. Correct. Uh, you know, there are a hundred books about Scientology, but there, and many of them tremendously valuable. I mean, Doctor's Report on Dianetics, the first book by Joe Winter. Uh Helen O'Brien's Dianetics in Limbo made me cry. I finally got a copy
1: of that, by the way. I'm I'm going to be reading that very soon. So uh yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to that one.
0: Yeah, finding that the woman who'd run the Philadelphia doctorate course defected because her husband her partner committed suicide because of the promises Hubbard had made to him. That had completely failed you know that he was he had post-traumatic stress disorder because he'd been bulldozing bodies into uh, ditches after battles mm. during the pacific campaign and mm. strangely enough he couldn't get it out of his head and hubbard said oh that's no problem we'll just uh we'll fix that up with a little bit of creative processing you know and john neugebauer killed himself in the end because the, the promise failed um which was not infrequently, the case so I traced quite a lot of of suicides in Scientology that come by people's expectations being raised, their hopes being raised so high, and then well, what they found was that they now had no money, <laughs> and their family weren't talking to them, and, and that kind of stuff. But well, just so, taken
1: for a ride and then left in a ditch. That's Hubbard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Move on to the next one, as as any con artist will. That's right. It, it's the, it's the way it functions. So I. With blue sky i wanted to write a definitive text and several people called it that to robert born young who was the senior pr for scientology called it definitive um jolly west called it definitive actually (laughs) there you go um and i wanted to do that with opening our minds i wanted to write a book that would start a discussion and with the book that i'm working on which is about belief and it comes out of a misquotation from voltaire which is people who believe absurdities will tend to commit atrocities he didn't quite say that but i that thought belief absurd belief atrocity that that one makes sense to me in terms of history and means that what i would like to do is write something that can help people to examine their beliefs that can help people to sit back and say do i believe this because it feels right or do i believe this because The evidence is good for it. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: we don't teach our kids this. Not enough. (laughs) Not enough.
1: It's not not repeated at the times when it could really make a difference. You know, you get taught in school along with 30,000 other things that are all a monotone of importance. Mm -hmm. And then you have some rough life experiences. And what do you get told? thought-stopping cliches and feel-good mantras instead of, hey, idiot, don't do that again. Here's how it happened. Here's how to prevent it. You don't get that. <laughs> you know? Pardon me yeah. if I rant a little um, bit about this, but it's annoying, you know? You get thought-stopping sure cliches and feel-good mantras way more often than you get pointed back to critical thinking.
0: Yeah, slogans and mantras. And, and you know, while, while the world is... You know, headed towards climate collapse. We're not talking about climate change anymore. We 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 are, and you're kind of going, well, you know, it's what, well, um, is it Rachel Carson, the, um, 1963 her book, um, suggesting that spraying everything with DDT, uh, Silent Spring, spraying everything with DDT was a bad idea. And we have seen so much in the 60s and the 70s, you know, when the oil industry in the 70s realised what the future was. Um, We used to have an advertisement for, we used to work called Orange here, and their ad was, the future is bright, the future is orange. And I'd be thinking, is that about radioactivity or, you know, that everything's going to be orange? I, I don't like the sound of that. But thankfully, the phone company's gone out of business. But the 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 orange folk you know the the, there there is you know we are in a terrible crisis at this moment if the the russians decide to not only stop the export of grain which they now are doing but attack the wheat fields next year there's going to be a massive famine and people are just sitting around and politicians are having conversations we need to do something about that and this means we have to take responsibility for our own stupidity and foundational to that is certainties that are based upon opinion that are based upon feelings not upon evidence and you know if we're going to survive if if our grandchildren are going to survive we need to change the way we behave and the way we think and focus on the important things not put it off until the next election you know after we after we're elected we'll change it you know but actually all of us individually take responsibility and do something about it in our own lives and you know help to persuade others to do something and that's what these podcasts are actually about they're not about Scientology
1: In case anybody needed that spoiler alert. <laughs> and I think sometimes they do. So I'm glad you said that out loud because I've been preaching the exact same thing. And we always and it's funny how you and I, especially more recently, have tended to go in that direction in our podcasting when we're wrapping up and, and kind of summating where we're going and why what we're thinking is. What's motivating us? It's pretty clear, right? We want people to get along better. We want the world to be getting along better, and we want it to happen through better thinking. And we're and and the whole lesson of Scientology and Jay, Charles Manson and and all this horrible horrible behavior is there are lessons here. You know, you can watch this stuff and go tisk tisk tisk, or look at this in a sort of trauma porn popcorn eating way. And I really hate that. I really do. I'm just gonna tell you, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot yeah. of people who tune into this stuff because of that. They're just interested in sort of sucking off the trauma energy or something, and I find that very strange. Um, that's certainly not what motivates emotional me. vampires. Yeah, that kind of thing, right? No, no, I'm not trying to like you know point the fickle finger of accusation and at the camera here. You know, I I don't think everybody's doing that, but I see that in the, some of the comments sometimes, and you just go, God damn, I think you're kind of missing the point here there's a way we can use this information and learn from it and do better and do better in our own lives. And, and I really hope those are the messages that, that come across in our work, because that's the intention. Yep. And, uh, and I think that's what puts us apart from, um, you know, other content creators in some ways.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there, there is so much that's you know junk lords or, or simply entertainment or something some scurrilous story to tell um and that's fine That that's keeping people busy but i think we are living in quite worrying times mm-hmm. and i'm pretty sure of that and <laughs> i am sure. i believe <laughs> that we have the tools to solve the problem mm-hmm. but it is gonna mean that we have to take responsibility for our own lives, our own consumption, our you know what what we are doing, how we're behaving to other people, and that's nothing to do with religious belief or anything of that kind. I'm an agnostic. I, I do what I do because I understand that virtue is its own punishment, and um, you know. But if if anybody watching this has ever been bad in any way or had a nasty thought, then. Press the button and send us the thousand dollars. There you now. go.
1: <laughs> Spiritus, spumatus, spaminus, and forgiveness.
0: Yeah, that's yep, it. Yep, I dude, will grant you the holy, dude, holy go, forgiveness. Yeah, and you'll go immediately to heaven. That's right. And, uh, and that's just right. give us two thousand dollars when that thousand doesn't work, and then four thousand.
1: Exactly. Hold out your hand right now if you're looking for absolution. Hold out your hand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit your hand with a stick of truth here. And uh and and uh seven uh hail uh Zenus. And you yep. are forgiven.
0: <laughs> that three, po- three Harry Potters.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: There you go. There you go. Grand. it been good grand, fun grand. as always. All right.
1: Exactly. As always. Thank you, John. Thank you very much for sharing your time and life and knowledge with us.
0: Thank you. It's been great, good fun.
1: Absolutely. And I hope everybody learned something today. You know, we went, I think we went into quite a few details and I think that clincher, by the way, that business of sending people off to the UK to study Scientology that don't ignore that. That is not a small thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the context of it, right. Where Mm -hmm. literally people were dumpster diving and he fucking manages to figure out the money for that. What? That's pretty wild. Um, and it says everything about his, acknowledgement at least, at the very least, it says something about his acknowledgement of the workability or power or need for that in his life, Manson I'm talking about here, and wanting to bring that to others in his inner circle. So what does that tell you? It tells you that it was a lot more than just a religious epiphany in prison, and he moved on. It tells you this was something important Mm -hmm. to him. And if it was important to him, that means he was using it. And if he was using it, it means he was practicing Scientology, and that's that just matters in this picture, you know. Yeah. And, and I think, Unless, like John said, go ahead. Sorry. No, was,
0: you go ahead. Sorry.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, building on what you said there, of yeah. you know, and if it, and if, and if that that's a part of the picture, right? I just wanted to stress that too. Is it's like it's a part. I think the drugs played a substantially larger part in terms of the programming, so to speak, of his family members, of his of his people. I, I don't know that you know if you if you if you've never dropped acid,
0: it's a powerful experience. And but if you drop only, it every every week for two years, it becomes yeah. a less powerful
1: experience. And now you're talking about something and- that
0: and you know you get to it that that these kids had taken acid before they met charlie manson you know this is this is not the thing that he introduced to the culture worse and you know strangely he didn't introduce datura and there is no evidence that he used it himself or that he gave it to anybody it came into the family through other members so you also have this let's blame charlie for everything charlie manson was a pimp he was a car thief he was a con man um but the beach boys did record one of his songs um and credited it to themselves you know oh, dear but he was he was a bad man but he was not this peculiar satanic monster we didn't get into the process of the fight you know the church of the Final Judgment, um process church of the final judgment. And the De Grimstons, that's the story for another time. Um, I I don't know of any evidence that they were connected to Manson except for Scientology's own red box documents, where they're worried that they're going to be associated with both Manson and the De Grimstons, Church of the Process Church of the Final Judgment. I this idea of some you know malevolent evil genius. Manson was just the he was the leader of a group of people, but that group of people also contributed in the same way that we as Scientologists contributed to what Scientology did. That's we me. are not innocent, you know, and you know there are mitigating circumstances because we really believed we were helping people and changing the world to be a better place, and thankfully we didn't murder any well i didn't murder anybody you may have done i I, I didn't no, know that, that's good so neither of us murdered anybody so that's good i'd also like to say that in the making of this video no scientologists were harmed
1: <laughs> correct <laughs> correct we might have used a little harsh language but otherwise nothing nothing uh nothing bad in that direction yeah. um yeah it's a you know and 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 you can come into this with preset ideas about manson and about how it all went down and that's fine i understand like i said at the beginning there is an ocean of information about charles manson and the family and what went down there and not all of the information in that ocean is factual Mm -hmm. and it is up to us to figure it out and make our navigate and figure it out for ourselves uh, it's fine. You know what I mean? We don't have to have big, long, huge arguments about it. I hope that this information that was presented today is something that you can incorporate into your set of facts and information and adjust accordingly. That's all I ask. Yeah. You know, it's like, think about the information, incorporate it with the rest of the information you have, and if there's contradictory information there, trace it down for yourself. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Don't just decide on a whim, oh, John Atac has no idea what he's talking about. Go find out. Or, you know, or O'Neill, or, or whatever. I like, could Go read the books. Go find out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that at all. We hope this information will help you do that. That's, that's the whole yeah. point.
0: So. Yeah. To encourage inquiry and, and discussion rather than to close down the debate. Exactly. Exactly. Grand. All
1: right. So thanks, man. Again, thank you very much for your time and uh, and knowledge and help with all this. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right. And, uh, and that is a promise, by the way, on the process, Church, because I did say that at the beginning. I thought we would get into that, but no big deal because it's another big topic. And if you all don't know, it involves Son of Sam and satanic stuff and actual murder and all kinds of weird stuff. So that'll be another.
0: <laughs> well, and just to, just to whet the appetite, the two people who founded it um, actually were part of Scientology in England and then moved to the U S changed their name to De Grimston and put forward the philosophy that only Those people who were extreme were of value. So they valued people who'd done a lot of good, like Jesus or St. Francis, and people who'd done a lot of harm, like Hitler and Stalin. Those were their heroes. And anybody else was called a grey, long before aliens were called greys. And they're known for having walked up and down, I think it was in Santa Monica, but in, in the beaches in California, all dressed in black with their what in America are called German shepherds. We call them Alsatians here. And yeah, somehow it would appear that David Berkowitz, the son of Sam killer, had some of their literature. So that proves that there, we should be panicked that Satan is running America.
1: There it is. There it is. All part of the satanic panic of the 80s, folks. And, and, and we, there's a whole story there. And I can't wait to tell it to you guys. So, uh, so we'll get to that. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you very much support our channels, uh, like, and share our stuff, tell people about us. I mean, it, you know, if you want to know what you can do to help us out, if you don't want to throw some money our way, share our work, that would be awesome. You know, there's nothing that, I'm telling you, there's nothing better in terms of promotion for us than goodwill and, um, uh, word of mouth.
0: Yeah, so- absolutely.
1: So that helps.
0: Spread spread it around. Exactly.
1: All right, folks. See you next week. Bye bye.
0: Hi, John here. Thanks for watching. We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like, as well as subscribe, and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps, and we welcome new patrons on Patreon, or you can make a one off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much. Beep, 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 beep. Spiritus, spubinus, spaminus,
1: and forgiveness.